Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. everyone, Steve Ray Morris here, back with a very special Raptor Reactions episode of See Jurassic Right. Uh, this is going to be an interview with Tess Sharp, the author of The Evolution of Claire. Uh, I was super excited to chat with her, and we'll dive into that in a second. But um, I wanted to highly recommend listening to uh, Brad's interview with Tess um, on the Jurassic Park podcast and Jennifer Tarek's interview with Tess on the Bryce Dallas Howard network too, because they interviewed her as well. And, um, I was so happy I got to listen to those before this. So I just think if in, if I know you're going to fall in love with Tess, like I did, um, over the course of chatting with her. So I just wanted to point those out that there's going to be other great interviews with her out there from the fellow Jurassic community. So I just wanted to point that out first. Um, if you're diving into this new, if you don't know what the evolution of Claire is, it's the very, it's our very first bit of, um, canon Jurassic material that, um, you know, is in another form of media other than online materials, which is cool. So it's like, cause we have Miss Ronnie global for Jurassic world and we had, um, we have the dino GP the dino gpg the dinosaur protection group for um jurassic world fallen kingdom and those things have done a lot to like really add to the lore and behind the scenes and, and what's going on with sorna and you know stuff like that but the evolution of claire really is to me um the benchmark for what canon uh tie-in material can be it's so good and it really is meant to not only kind of give us more character backstory, but I think it's Universal's way of, again, sp exploring the um, universe without, um, you know, that can't be explored on screen in film. Because um, Jurassic Park is very much, they're very much old school in the sense that, you know, these movies aren't continuations of each other. They are, there are these big gaps in between the films that kind of, you know, you're left to your imagination. Like, how did you get from, you know, from the end of Jurassic World to the beginning of Fallen Kingdom? How did you get from the end of Jurassic Park 3 to Jurassic World? So what I think and what I'm hoping and what I think has been the general vibe, you know, again, listening to Brad's interview, listening to Jennifer's interview, it's this thing that we all want there to be more of this. We want more novels. We want the evolution of Muldoon. We want the evolution of Wu. We want, 
you know, uh, what was, um, who was, you know, original Macy or whatever, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I think reading the evolution of Claire got me so excited at the possibilities. So, um, and again, I'm going to read the synopsis of the film. I'll give a few of my thoughts and then we'll dive into the interview. So, um, the official synopsis, um, for the evolution of Claire, which I read, gosh, on a mini sode, like in maybe like February or March or something like that. Um, it says, don't miss this pulse pounding sequel to the Jurassic world movies that reveals the never before seen backstory of, of beloved film character, Claire Deering as played by Bryce Dallas Howard. Freshman year in college is full of obstacles. There are messy roommates, cranky professors and disgusting dining halls. But for Claire Deering add how to properly avoid being eaten by a dinosaur to that list. The year is 2004 and Claire has been given the chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to intern at the Jurassic World theme park less than a year before it opens to the public. She is laser focused with her sights set on bettering the lives of all the animals worldwide. But life at the park isn't all test driving gyrospheres and falling head over heels for a fellow student named Justin, though she does that too. Rumors and suspicions flood the island and Claire is determined to unravel the truth. As Claire searches for answers, she and Justin find themselves thrust into a sinister plot that'll leave Claire forever changed, forcing her to question everything she thought she knew and bring her one step closer to the Claire viewers met in Jurassic World and who they'll return to in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So that is uh, the synopsis. And um, I mentioned it on an Instagram post, I think, um, a few weeks ago when I finished the book um, before I interviewed Tess and I talked about it in my spoiler discussion of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, um, especially because I was like, right as I recorded that right as I was finishing up. So I was like super hyped on it. But it's a YA novel that is filled with great female friendships and for animal and history, for animal, for animal and natural history nerds, it's super um just filled with the inner workings. Like if you want to know how the park actually operates and what it takes to introduce animals, you know, what it takes to introduce dinosaurs into those kinds of environments. Um, and it also is chock full of chock-a-block filled with, um, with lore, um, especially for people who've been talking, you know, what happened to Sorna, um, because the movie makes just such a minor mention of it, you know, saying it's in the past. Um, but what does that even mean? And so I think the novel really dives into that in a way that is very interesting and feels, you know, you can see that in Jurassic World in a way, you know, not knowing that. So again, that's not a spoiler, but like, um, we do, um, go into a couple minor spoilers in this interview. Um, it was nice to chat with her after Fallen Kingdom had come out because then we could talk about what she thought of the film. Um, obviously, you hear her Jurassic origin story, um, the ways that the novel enriches the film, you know, um, you know, dealing with canon, all that stuff. Um, we talked about um, the Brachiosaurus in Fallen Kingdom, writing in the world of college and, um, internships and stuff, which was super in my wheelhouse. Like this book really felt, I mean, I'm Claire, so there we go. Just putting it out there. But also after the interview is over, I'm going to dive into a little more spoilery, a little more, um, you know, specific reactions to certain things, um, that are in the book. So if you don't want to hear any, any more spoilers, um, you can, you know, end it, you know, when the interview ends, because I'm going to dive into a little more specific, you know, um, Easter eggs and things like that, that I saw that I really enjoyed. So sit back, relax and enjoy my interview with Tess Sharp. I know I have, I have a few more fandom friends who I have known since I was a preteen, since I got involved in, in fandom when I was about 10 or 11, right when the, when we, when we still had web rings and Yahoo groups. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Because I'm old. Uh, no i mean and so um to be able to participate in a fandom like this and to be able to write something official for it is like it's a fan fiction a writer's dream come true basically it's like i got paid to write fan fiction and it's like i'm so like is this real is this real oh my gosh yeah no i'm excited to talk to you i I think we should just dive in yeah Um, let's dive in yeah yeah no i'm excited um yeah, I finished the book uh, a few days ago, so I'm so glad that I, and I'm also glad that, um, 
now that Fallen Kingdom out is out too, we can talk a little bit about that yes. in a sec. I wasn't allowed to talk about it before with my my, my last few interviews, so we can really dig in. <laughs> cool. But to to take it back, um, and again, you've mentioned a little bit on the other podcast, but what? Um, yeah, what was your Jurassic origin story? I know you didn't see the film until more recently, but... Um... I didn't. My mom did not let me watch them. She, like... And it's so funny because it's like, she didn't watch them. But I guess from the trailer, she decided that it would traumatize me. <laughs> Which is so silly if you think about it. But I guess I showed her, you know, because I went and wrote a book about it. Yeah, oh my God. Uh, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm, my, 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 like, eight-year-old self is like, ha, mom. Um... But she was, um, she always monitored my media very carefully, and she was just a very nonviolent person, which was really ironic because I grew up to write murder mysteries. Um, <laughs> so she kind of like failed when it came to me, I guess. Um, yeah, well, it's but, you're you're either right. you're either doing the opposite of what your parents want, or you're <laughs> leaning into right. that. Right, it's true. So she was like, oh, no, Tess, you can't watch it. Because I really wanted to see it. Because, of course, all of my friends were seeing it. And I loved dinosaurs. Of course, I'm obsessed with dinosaurs. I was I was that weird kid who wanted to be an archaeologist before I realized I was not academic enough to be an archaeologist. That's me. <laughs> not my thing. I'm better at inventing things. Um, so I somehow, like, and I was a very rule-obeying child. Like, if my mom said I couldn't do something... I obeyed her. Like, I was a goody two-shoes. <laughs> so, um, so, like, I somehow internalized that the Jurassic Park movies would, like, traumatize me. Because, like, in my mind, they were, it was, like, nonstop, like, dinos tearing into each other <laughs> and, like, hurting each other. And it's, like, which is, like, now that I think about it, it's the most absurd thing ever. It's a children's it's, a, it's a, The first one, especially, is a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, and I remember when I met my husband and we had started dating, and I think it might have been when Jurassic World was announced. It had, I don't even think the trailers had come out yet. I think it was just announced, and he, he somehow mentioned it. He was like, oh, God, we have to go see this because he loves the movies. And, I, and, and, and that is when he found out that I hadn't seen them. And he was just, like, shocked <laughs> and horrified. <laughs> And he kept saying, babe, you love dinosaurs. This is a ridiculous thing. You love dinosaurs. You would love these movies. And so I was like, but aren't they really violent? And he's like, no, they're not. <laughs> and so we had a weekend and, you know, we binge watched all of them. Oh. And I like, and so it became our thing. You know, it became one of our things. We are, our things are Jurassic Park and, and Parks and Recreation. Both, both parts, two very different parks. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But share some crossover. Really uh-huh. And so, like, we are, and so it became our special thing, you know, and it was, it was so nice to be able to be introduced to it as an adult with somebody that I love so much who I know so well. And to experience it, experience, experience it as an adult, it was like, it was like being transported back to childhood in a really amazing way. Because, you know, you get to see, and I am someone who really loves puppets. And I, I, I appreciate so much um, the franchise's commitment to still using puppets and the actual dinosaurs because with computer animation, they can do amazing things yeah. with computer animation nowadays, but the puppets are just so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm glad that they, and I'm glad that it seems like, according to interviews with Colin Trevorrow and Jay Bayona, that they really, you know, at least with this new film, they really wanted to frame the dinosaur action around those puppets and those animatronics. And because, because yeah. it was something that really captured, it seems like it captured our imaginations growing up or, or just even like you're saying, like it brings you back to when you were a kid, which is that, it really does. that that's pretty powerful to, 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 for a movie that even though you didn't see it till you were an adult to almost, it's almost as if you had seen it as a kid or something, which is kind of amazing. You back to those moments of wonder, and that's what I really loved about it. Like, I love that I got some experience as an adult because it was such a transformative experience. It was just, it was, it was delightful, you know, because they are the movies are delightful. They have, they have these moments of, you know, great scariness, but also like great humor and great emotion. And, you know, they really have a smorgasbord of emotion. And that's what I love as a writer and as a moviegoer. 
So um, for me, yeah, it was very, spe- very special. You know, it's it's kind of my husband and our our thing. You know, his his wedding ring has a dinosaur bone inlaid on one of the inlays is dinosaur bone. <sighs> wow. Um, we're, we're that geeky, and you know, he has a parts and rec quote on the inside. <laughs> because, you know, I have to go full circle. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> You know, and so, yeah, to be able to experience it with him, I'm kind of like, thanks, mom, for overreacting in a really big way about these movies. Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't, if you had seen it when you were a kid and maybe it didn't live up to that hype or, or you know, you just. I think I would have, yeah, I think I would have loved them as a kid, but to be able to experience them with the person that I love the most and to like see his joy in watching me experience that, experience them, it's very special to me because of that. Yeah. Oh, I I think so too. I think it's funny. I've talked on this podcast before where people will, hey, there's going to be an outdoor screening of Jurassic Park and you know, you should go to it. And part of me is like, well, I feel Jurassic Park's very special to me, so I feel very vulnerable just watching this movie that I love in public almost. I don't know why. I totally agree with that. There are totally movies and what Jurassic Park is definitely one of them and I have a few other movies where it's like, no, I'm not going in a theater or watching that. I'm going to sob in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh yeah. Um yeah, it's a, it's its own thing. Um and yeah, I wanted to ask because it's funny, uh, in one of the screenings of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, there was a row of seriously like 30 children that were my age when I saw the original movie. And it was actually in the theater that I saw the original in. I went back oh my to my hometown I with my dad and we decided to kind of make it a little of a, a special experience. But also the thing we noticed was that there was all these kids there. And so it's 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 weird that this movie can be simultaneously where your story of, of, and so many people have talked about that where their parents wouldn't let them watch it because it was too scary. And yet there's still the same amount of parents that are like showing their kids, these terrifying images. Um, it's, it's like, you know, it's, a, it's such a long running franchise. So it's like, you literally can be an adult now and have loved it for 25 years. Yeah. And that's so special. That's very, very special, you know, And especially for a franchise that was, you know, kind of quiet for a really long time. I think that it really shows the love that people have for it, that it came back in such a big way and was such a success. And um, very exciting to me, you know, and makes me very happy. Um, So, yeah. What did you uh, what did you think of Fallen Kingdom? How how exciting was it for it to finally come out? Oh, my God. Loved it. I thought that it had such a wonderful message about animal exploitation and cruelty and, you know, what our role as humans are and what we need to do to make the world better for animals. And I thought that that was such a wonderful message, you know, as someone who has been involved in animal rescue and rehabilitation her entire life. Like, I was so I was so happy to see that. I think that it had a really wonderful message and just cinematically it was just, I think it, and it, I think it, I don't know if it's the most beautiful one, but it's like, I think that it might be the most emotional one, at least for me. Yes. Because there was, in terms of like gut wrenchingness, because, you know, you're seeing the entire island destroyed. And like, it was so emotional. And the way that they shot it, I was just, I was in tears a lot of the time. Yeah. During the, you know, first third of the movie when we're on the island. Because it was so emotional and just cinematography wise, I don't even know if that's like the right phrase for it because I don't know anything about films. Um, <laughs> I just so beautifully shot. You know, I'm not the most visual person, so I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. Um, but I just, I was, I was so impressed with it. I really was, and I loved how they used the house and the mansion as well. You know, it's the first yeah. time we're really kind of side of the island, and I thought that the way they did it was so clever. And then. The ending. I yes. mean, oh my gosh, come on. It changes everything. It's like, well, you, you talk about it being very pretty and in there in almost poetic in a sense. And I feel like the end yeah. is such a, I heard Jay Bayona refer to it as a coda and that it sounds musical. And it just, there's something so, and like you said, emotional about that movie where I remember getting out, I was like, man, this is so many people cry in this movie. Dinosaurs cry. I was like, this is, I this know. is the best. Like been hit by a T-Rex at the end of it. I was like, oh my gosh. Like it really like it's draining and inspiring at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like, and just like you feel like you just you get out of it and you're like, wow, that was like an emotional and adrenaline ride. 
I feel drained. I like I need a cookie. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friend um Michelle referred to it as it hurts so good. Yes, exactly. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And you know, to to bridge it to your book, I, I thought what was really what felt really nice because I saw the film and then I actually it's funny, I saw your I saw the film, I rewatched Jurassic World and then I read Ooh. The Evolution of Claire and I oh, thought God. and again to you know and I and I really want to get your thoughts on that that it almost feels like Fallen Kingdom is her as a character and although we haven't seen where Jurassic World 3 goes Fallen Kingdom really feels like a full, full circle moment to the evolution of Claire and to where Claire was when she was 19 and I don't know that really it, it felt really you know, as somebody, and I think, you know, and I think writing this book, you were probably dealing with that of like, here's this woman in Jurassic World who's ambitious, she's a go-getter, she's doing all these, you know, cool things, but she's almost misunderstood. And people have people have taken office jobs and have the best intentions. And so especially like your lines in the book about like, well, if I take the, you know, and, and you know, I'll maybe preface this with a spoiler and I, or I can bleep around it or cut around it, but just just the idea that it's like, you know, I'm going to, you go into this space with good intentions and stuff. And I really liked, I guess maybe if you want to talk about like, how, how did it come to crafting that journey of Claire, you know, creating the beginning of her journey? What was that like? You know, it was difficult because, you know, I, it is, it's really, it's a, it was a completely different experience that I've ever had because, you know, it's an established character and not only is it an established character, it's an established character who is portrayed by this amazing actress. And so I got this odd opportunity of being a novelist, but kind of experiencing what a screenplay writer, I assume, would experience, you know? Yeah. So I had all of this, basically, information and data that I could have about Claire, you know, in terms of Bryce's interviews. And I really did, I read a lot, I, I listened to a lot of what Bryce had to say about Claire, because it felt like she brought her to life. And so I really needed to get her viewpoint on Claire because it's her performance that brings Claire to life and really adds to, and, you know, she adds special things to Claire um, that may not be in the script specifically. And so I, 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 from my, that was kind of my starting point. And we talked a lot, my team and I talked a lot about what they wanted Claire to embody basically and where we needed to take her. Since I had not seen the movie, and so, and I only had very, um, I hadn't seen Fallen Kingdom when I was writing this book, obviously, and I didn't have a script, and so I hadn't, I was very in the dark about the main plot points about it, but I kind of had a basic idea of where Claire was, just personality wise. Yeah. And so my job was to basically, explain why Claire, you know, is she's, she's different. You know, she's different in Fallen Kingdom than we see in the first movie, you know. And I think for me, my, the journey, the journey that I took to understand this was that the, the Claire that we see in Jurassic World is a Claire that is born out of trauma. Yeah. She had something really terrible happen to her in this place that she had come to view as her home. And I think that's something that I really tried to bring to the book is the feeling that this place, that the island is the first place that Claire has ever felt like she's belonged. And um, because I needed, basically, I needed to understand why Claire, after experiencing this trauma, this terrible trauma where she loses somebody, and the, 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 the creatures, the animals that she loves and that she, that, they, that she loves has taken something from her. And that, why would you, my question always was, why would she say that? Yeah. Why would she say? And so I had to basically, I kept asking myself this question, why would Claire stay? Why would Claire stay after this? Because, you know, even though, my book isn't concerned with that. It had to make sense that Claire would stay yeah. after all this trauma. And, you know, I think that it's her desire for control, but it's also her desire to find the pieces of herself that she lost in that paddock. Yeah. You know, she lost something of herself in that paddock. And I think that one of the reasons that she stays is because she's still looking for it. 
and she knows it's there. And she knows that it's, it's that spark, it's that spark of wonder and joy that she buries and she, she hibernates parts of herself. And the only thing that wakes those things back up is a, another trauma. Yeah. Which, you know, and that, and it's, and it sucks, you know? Yeah. But it is, it's the truth is that sometimes we bury parts of ourselves. And, I, and I've experienced this as someone who has experienced trauma in her life. You bury parts of yourself. And sometimes it takes something really painful to have those parts waken up again in order to protect yourself. And I think that that is what happened is that Claire was determined to shut parts of herself off after the events of evolution of Claire, but she wanted to feel, she still wanted to stay in this place that she felt like she belonged because it's the only place that she's ever felt like she's belonged and that she's been truly valued for who she is. And, you know, it's not her parents' fault that they, that she feels like that, you know, it's just, she doesn't quite fit with her family of origin and her found family she fits with a little bit more. It doesn't mean that she doesn't love her family. I mean, obviously she loves her family. Look what she did for her nephew. Yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, but it's, it's having people love you and having people understand you are two very different things. Yeah. And so I, I very much, and this is where the cicada pen kind of, you know, plays into my, my little metaphor for Claire because cicadas, you know, they hibernate and they fall, they sleep for many years. And so, Claire having the little cicada pin is kind of a, a little indication that, you know, she may be hibernating in Jurassic World, but she's going to come back to life in um, Jurassic Fallen Kingdom. And I feel like in Fallen Kingdom, we have Claire where her heart and her head are completely lined up for the first time since the, since, uh, since the evolution of Claire. Yeah. She's finally in a place where she's willing to fight and she knows what she wants. She knows what mistakes she made. And she's determined to fix them. And she's determined to make it right, no matter what the cost. And I find that very inspiring. Um, I think it's a very inspiring character arc. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it as somebody, I find I found it a very, to me, and like, you know, one of my questions was just, you know, what was it like working in the world of like college internships and theme parks? Because to me, this, her journey kind of, to me, feels very much like that getting your first industry job in LA or getting that fir- the getting that quote unquote dream job and not realizing what it what you ex- it's not what you expect and there's this element where you know I that's why I love the imagery of the cicada and I love the the choice to have her kind of come full circle and in in and in your book really setting that up is that you can see both sides of that character that we see in the two movies and I think it's it's very relatable that you know in in the path to achieve your dreams sometimes you you yeah you, you go through an event that you lose part of yourself but like you yeah you still want to see it through I don't know I found that very very relatable. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. You know, like I normally don't write college age protagonists usually because you know in young adult and which I write I write adult books as well about twenty somethings but like in young adult usually seventeen is like the cutoff age. <laughs> that you can write about and literally it's, it's really hard to sell books for, um, about 18 or 19 year old characters. So for me, this was so much fun because I really like to write about upper teenagers basically during this transition time, but it's really hard to sell books um, huh. during that transition time for whatever reason. It's really frustrating actually. So for me to be able to write this and to be able to do that, I, it was really, really fun for me because it was to get to explore a part of teenagerdom that doesn't get explored as much in um, young adult fiction right now. Um, I hope that it will change someday because I think that um, the college years are a really interesting time, even if you don't go to college. Like I didn't go, I, I didn't graduate college, you know, like I went to college for a few years and then I dropped out. Um, but it was still a really transformative time of my life, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I feel very lucky that I got to write because it, it generally is, it's not as common that you get to write about college age protagonists. So I was really happy that I got to do that. Yeah, no, I was totally nerding out because this is just all this whole book was like speaking my language and being a zoo nerd and a theme park nerd and and <laughs> that whole world of of yeah, like applying for things and that want and desire and 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 feeling torn about the choices you're making when it comes to following your dreams and all that stuff. I love 
that felt so real to me. And, and oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of my friends, when they read this, I feel like they're going to be like, it, you know, it's just it's because, yeah, we're so used to a certain age demographic going through things. And so I think it's I think there's the, I think to me, having this book be set at kind of a, when you're a little bit older, but still figuring things out. I, I don't know. That's that's cool that you want to do more like that, because I feel like, yeah, this is a very underrepresented age group and kind of sci-fi, you know, and, and young adult. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it felt, it was cool. It was such a different setting than what I'm, what I'm used to in these kind of books. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I really, had, I really had fun doing it. It was really fun. <laughs> um, so, you know, Evolution of Clary also, you know, for big Jurassic Park nerds, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just exciting to to learn more about this world. And I think it was, you know, when Universal decided to, uh, when they kept the real timeline and had all these big gaps in the in the years between uh, events, it just mean it just meant that this that that your book is the kind of thing that we're gonna flock to because we want to learn all the nitty gritty and minutia. I mean, just even the idea that Claire saw the event that happened in San Diego during the Lost World is just that's the kind of stuff that you know, I think people just what I've noticed in the community are going bananas over. And I guess for evolution of Claire, like what kind of stuff like that do you like, like, I guess, you know, in thinking back to the films, like what kind of, what, like how does your book enrich the world of Jurassic or just, is there examples where you were excited to tackle or, or thought was like a challenge or. So I am like, obviously like I'm a fan girl first and foremost. So to be asked to even write this, like I, when I originally got this job, I did not know that it was a Jurassic Park book. So funny. All I I knew about it was that it was a sci-fi novel. It was a work for hire sci-fi novel. So all I knew was that, and like my my agent like actually went to me and he was like, Tess, he's like, they're interested. The, the, the Penguin Random House is interested in hiring you for something, but do you even write sci-fi? <laughs> and because my agent um, had signed me on murder mysteries, which are contemporary, I write sci-fi. I, I spent my teen years writing sci-fi, but I do not write my I do not write original sci-fi because I get lost in the world building. And I will spend five years world building and I won't have a book back. <laughs> so for me, like to be able to play in somebody else's established sci-fi world was like a giant gift because like, it was like, oh my gosh, it's already established. I don't have to get obsessive about it. I can be only obsessive about all the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, like I got to, so I got to ask all of these questions that I had about, you know, the movie and stuff because I'm like, in order to world build because you know writing a book and writing a screenplay are completely different aspects and you need different things for them and so like I had a lot of questions about stuff that would never end up in a movie because you know dinosaurs are breaking out so we're not going to talk about measuring dinosaur poop you know <laughs> like we're a little busy but it's like I want and I'm sitting here asking like well how do the herbivores get used to the crowds of people you know how do they get used to the gyrospheres going through their their habitat how do you do this where are all the dinosaurs where are the baby dinosaurs being kept blah 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 <laughs> that's the most of questions um and so for me, I think that this novel is something that we don't often get to see. We get to see a lot of the park when it's not in crisis. Yeah. And so we get to see kind of it not only getting built and the challenges of it getting built, but the challenges of integrating all of these species in together and the problems that they that they pose that might not be life-threatening problems. For me, I was really into... What are all the problems that the dinosaurs can cause that are not eating people? (laughs) (laughs) That's how we ended up with, you know, Pearl trying to chase the gyrospheres everywhere and, you know, Lovelace getting caught and, you know, our little medical mystery with, um, with the herbivores. And, you know, I like, I like to ask myself those questions. I like to, you know, like technically as a writer, I look at these books as alternative history books. You know, the entire franchise is technically an alternate history of our world yeah. where dinosaurs exist. The best so <laughs> for me, I like, I like asking, I like, be, so for me, I got to ask my, we, we, we were asking ourselves a lot. The whole team was like, how is the presence of dinosaurs 
sped up or slowed down progress on all levels? Like, how has it changed the scientific world? How has it changed the medical world? How has it changed our culture? How has it changed our society? How has it changed us politically? You know, yeah. and it has all these questions, you know, how has it advanced us? You know, and I had a, I've gotten a lot of um, emails being like, well, what about this? Why do they have tablets? In 2004, they didn't have tablet tests and, you know, stuff like that. And like, in my mind, in the Jurassic World alternate history, our technology is a way more advanced than what we have now, what we had in 2004. And so we talked about that a lot, you know, the team being kind of like, what would have, what, what is a little different than our world? What is more advanced than our world and our timeline than this timeline? Because this is a different timeline. We're dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. they had holographic technology way before we actually did. And so for me as a writer, that is really fun to kind of ask myself those questions. And, you know, I got to explore stuff that, you know, in a movie might not be relevant, but in a book really enriches, you know, the book. You know, getting to catalog the dinosaur poop, I just, I yes. love that scene so much. No, yeah. It's... And I'm not sitting here being like, what, is, what, what, what kind of plants are the, the, is the dinosaur manure getting, you know, put on and all of this stuff? Look, they... like, I wonder if they're selling, I'm like, like sketching up dinosaur fertilizer bags, bag logos and stuff oh my like God. that. Uh, <laughs> I, but as a, as a, as a writer, that is the stuff that I love and that I hope that, um, will contribute to the canon like it's a very intimidating thing to be to get to contribute to a canon like this you know that it's yeah. so beloved and was created by michael Crichton. oh my god like and steven spielberg and you know all of these people and so it's like i i, I want to you know honor it and honor all of the wonderful things that are part of it and you know put my own spin on it a little bit you know i'm very proud of the fusion bandages for instance yeah um i love that concept and i'm i i felt like it was a little clever so i was glad that i came up with that <laughs> yeah no i mean it would be fun to see it in a movie someday but we'll see yeah i know i definitely i mean with star wars bringing stuff over from animated and and you know other things like that i feel like all that stuff is is uh definitely possible and I mean, even your book has moments, like you're saying, like not even just technologically what's changed, but even just how the world reacts. And I mean, one of my favorite scenes is just Claire sort of arguing with her mom in that very, you know, parents who don't fight out loud, but just that kind of way of, but it's like, it's over the idea of her going to do this or, you know, that dinosaurs aren't going to help in her political career. It's like, I don't know, to me, that's the stuff that makes it feel so real, the, the, those kind of moments where it's like, oh yeah, but but insert, but instead it's dinosaurs, and that's the kind of world we live in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 the, that was the fun thing about it is you know it's like dinosaurs are the problem and also the solution. <laughs> yeah, no, and I guess when you were writing the book, what um, besides the team, I guess what were you really like pulling from in the sense of you know crafting this. This not only just, you know, a world that's set in Jurassic Park, but like just, you know, the world of a character going through this experience and going to this internship and like well, I, have so much, I have so much canon to pull from, you know. I had I think that I must have watched Jurassic World like seventy five times just to get the setting right. Because setting is always my biggest challenge as a writer. Um, I struggle with it hugely, actually. And it's, there's a reason why most of my books are set where I grew up. Um, <laughs> because I can look out my window and be like, I remember this. It's easy to describe. So I was like, I, I didn't have a map or anything, but I kind of like drew myself like a crude map after watching the movie so many times. And, you know, I listened to the soundtrack nonstop while I was writing. I listened to things on repeat over and over again because I'm an annoying, annoying writer, my poor husband. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I reread all I reread all the books as well because I really wanted to see the pacing that Crichton did. And, you know, the Crichton books are really, you know, they're information dense and they're really big books, you know. So, um, but I drew a lot from basically everything because I had so much. And, you know, I, I watched a lot of Bryce's interviews as well. And, but I also drew from my own life. This book has a lot of feel. has basically all of my feelings about being an ambitious teen girl. Um, <laughs> I was a very ambitious young woman. I started writing novels when I was 10 years old. Wow. Um, I knew what I wanted. 
I knew what I wanted from 10 on and I was determined to get it. And I basically altered the course of my life to do it. Um, and I had so many people telling me always, oh, you'll change your mind. Oh, writing is not a realistic job. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. And, you know, writing is not the most financially stable <laughs> job. I will fully admit that. Um, but like, I, I knew I grew up very, very poor and I knew that writing was my way out. I knew it in the bottom of my heart. And I knew that if I kept at it and I kept working as hard as I can, because I am not a naturally gifted writer. I am not a naturally gifted writer at all. All the talent that I have now is all the work that I put in, 15 years of work before I um, published my first novel. Um, and so I had a lot of people always telling me that my dreams were unrealistic and foolhardy, and I ignored them all. And this book is kind of a result of all of my feelings about that. <laughs> Cause if I hadn't ignored them, I wouldn't be in this position. Yeah. And like I wrote myself, I wrote my way out of poverty and that's a ridiculous thing to be able to say because writing does not usually pay well, <laughs> but I got very lucky with my first book and I wrote my way out of poverty. And so I, I dislike it when, People tell young people, try to dissuade young people from their dreams because you may be dissuading the next great writer. You may be dissuading the next great doctor. You may be dissuading the next great politician, you know? Yeah. And so I'm a very big believer in fostering ambition, ambition, especially in young women, because young women are um, very deter are very encouraged to make themselves smaller yeah. and make their dreams smaller. Um, and I hope that this book at least inspires some young people to, you know, go out and grab their dreams by, by the neck, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this book is, you know, just hearing your story, this book is very much about the realities of what it takes to follow your dreams and the pressure from people to maybe not want you to and, and sort of having to persevere through that. Yeah. Which I think is very relatable. <laughs> Yes, I hope so. It can be hard. It can be hard to, you know, and especially in this day and age, it can be hard to focus on your dreams when the world may be seem like that it's burning or burning around us. But, you know, at least we have dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> no, totally. And yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's so great. It's it's so great to hear your story about how you because, yeah, it's you know, it's that's what we want to hear, you know, is we want to hear that people achieve their dreams. And it's it's great. When, yeah when people can do that from no matter where they are in life, you know. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more that's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Definitely. So um, I have one question, but uh, I feel like I just just as of um, as of like the last day or two, I feel like this has been shot down. But I wanted to know if Pearl was a Brachiosaurus that we see in Fallen Kingdom. I've been getting this question so much like and it's really funny because like sometimes creators especially if they're working on the same subject they get something called hive mind like I had not seen the movie when I wrote that book and I had some fuzzy details about it but I did not have a script I did not have in it so I like when I was watching the movie I like there were a few moments in Fallen Kingdom where I was like wow it looks like we really planned that in conjunction <laughs> with the movie 
And some things we definitely did. Um, some things I was like, they were like, hey, Tess, can you put this in? And I was like, oh, wink, wink, you know, and I'd be like, okay, guys. Um, but other stuff was just pure writer luck. Like when I saw that scene, I basically burst into sobs because it was so emotional. Um, like in my original outline, Pearl actually did not have a bit, have a big role in the book. Oh, wow. Lovelace. Lovelace, the Triceratops that Claire observes um, being released into the valley, originally was the dinosaur that I was going to be working with. Um, and, but like sometimes characters, or I guess in this case, dinosaurs, <laughs> they just like come in and take over. Like I had just a throwaway line about Pearl and the gyrosphere, and that was just supposed to be a throwaway kind of funny line to kind of put a funny mental image in your head. And it, it became this huge plot point. And like when I started actually writing the book and like when it actually like was when I was drafting it, when it went from outline to draft and like Pearl like decided she wanted to be a star and she just like (laughs) took over and started causing trouble. So like, I think it's up to the fans to decide if Pearl is the Brachiosaurus in Fallen Kingdom. Like it's such an iconic, like haunting, like emotional moment, no matter what. But like, if you want to like feel extra bad about it, you can you can totally think that it's Pearl. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that that was my first thought, or yeah. you know, after reading the book, like that was like I went through the whole yeah. book and was just like noting things or like noting things. I was like, oh, that's interesting that this line kind of echoes to like Owen or or you know, it, when I was watching Fallen Kingdom, even I was like, man, I, I like, I mean, I don't think. Uh, I don't know how long lizards last, but there was part of me was like hoping that, you know, maybe Sally ride was like on Claire's desk, you know, at the DPG or something like, I don't know. It's just, I was, I hope so. Right. Or even Rue, the, um, the dog that she rescued as a yeah. child uh, that she gets pictures of. Um, it actually kind of looks like how I picture Rue. Oh, so. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, yeah, no, I love little stuff like that, but, um, yeah, definitely. And, and, um, and there's definitely a few things that they, they asked me to, you know, put we out that I was asked to put in that, you know, like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, this is the thing that may ha- you may be seeing in the movie, Beth, um, which I really enjoy. I really enjoyed being able to do that. Um, but, yeah, definitely, like, when I watch that scene, I'm just, like, sobbing. I'm like, oh, my God, I inadvertently made it worse. Yeah. Well, and, and, and even that thinking, like, that it's a younger... I mean, well, yeah. I guess at that point, I, she, I mean, at that point, oh she's God. a little bit older, but just that it is one it of the younger. Like, b- yeah. I'm just like, I, in my mind, I'm praying that like Pearl's on Sorna for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> she swam away. Get destroyed, right? Like, that's what I want to know. I'm obsessed with Isla Sorna. So like, I'm like totally obsessed with the idea of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like when I've been talking to people about this book, it's like, it, you know, that's another element of this book that I think, because it's funny, um, I feel like maybe regular kind of casual cinema goers, they, you know, I think there's something very poetic to having, you know, Isla Nublar destroyed and it's this single island and there's something very like full circle about that. But then I think a lot of more hardcore fans or more... um just even more like people who have kept up and maybe they're not like reading the dinosaur protection group website and stuff. I feel like your book is that if you want to get the backstory, you know, while experiencing this, this amazing, you know, journey of young Claire, it's like, I feel like this book is going to really give your fill of the backstory that you want and is going to, you know, in the film, they just mentioned Sorna it's in the past and that's kind of, you know, and I think I understand the filmmaker's perspective. Like, this is all we need to address that. But I think some people wanted more. And I feel like your book gives them that. Yes, definitely. And, you know, like originally, I remember um, originally I when I had the original draft, I wasn't naming Sorna because I wasn't sure what where if it it was even active anymore or anything, because it was kind of up in the air. And so I originally I had the carnivores just mysteriously somewhere else. (laughs) But the filmmakers were like, no, they need to be on Sorna. And I was like, okay, fine. Nice. You know, so who knows what they will do next. Um, I'm really hoping that maybe we get to hear more of the history of Sorna, maybe in the third movie or something, because it's like, where are we going to put all the dinosaurs that we're going to be rounding up across the world? Yeah. Put them somewhere. Yeah, no. (laughs) True. Yeah. That place is already a place is already a good home. 
Um, yeah, because yeah, who knows if that right. who knows if that island that Lockwood had the model of in his manor is actually a real place, or if Mills was just like exactly lying to him. right, real or is it not? Oh, he's such a jerk! Oh my gosh! Yeah, like yeah. It, oh. it, it's funny that island for some reason, and I haven't gone back to watch it because again, tears, but I feel like that little model reminded me of the Valley in land before time. Oh, so I, that would be a funny little callback. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't gone back and looked yet, but I'm really curious too. But also that movie, um, is very sad. So, uh, I know all the dinosaur movies are so sad. <laughs> I know. I can't even imagine if they ever made a dinosaur movie that's actually set when ex- when the extinction happens. Like, you know, they make a movie oh where it's God. like actually set Everyone sixty five million. Yeah, that. Everyone would traumatized. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess my last question, and again, this has been so much fun chatting with you, Tess. This has been a blast. Um, you know, I I've been asking a lot of people on this podcast, like because. I think because it's exciting that Fallen Kingdom to me really um, opened the doors of what a Jurassic Park movie could be. I could see blue Stranger Things style, like living in neighborhoods. I could see uh, dinosaur movies where there's no humans. I could see the science adventures. I could see more stories like Claire, where it's set in this world of like, you know, the laboratory and research and science and everything. Like, I guess in your mind, like what, like what would be the most ideal or what would be an ideal Jurassic movie that you would like to see? Oh, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see an almost horror-style thriller where a bunch of teenagers are on the island for a prom and the dinosaurs get loose. Oh, no. And there would be cool, there'd be like cool everywhere and Rexy would like get the, the prom queen's crown at one point after she like chomped her head <laughs> off, put it on her head you know, after they finish their rampage, I would love to see like a like a really fancy event at Jurassic Park, and like it just descends into chaos. <laughs> yes, it gets loose, and everybody's in their evening gowns, and they're all ill-equipped, and the dinosaurs probably would win in the end, which we can't have, of course. No, so. <laughs> no, yeah. But I would love something like that with you know high emotions with teenagers and. A lot of a lot of really funny visuals. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Like, um, oh, there was that high school movie, The Faculty, but with that with dinosaurs. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I you know, I actually have your copy, or I have a copy uh, of Far From You that I'm really excited to start reading. Um, oh, you're so sweet. It's 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 that one is it, it will make you really sad. Just just a warning. Like it's so funny. All my all my text sharp readers are like, um, all my all my all my new Jurassic World readers are like, oh, Tess is so nice, and all my text sharp readers are like, Tess is evil. <laughs> like <laughs> she will cause you pain. Like, <laughs> but I do. I normally write like this is my like I will say this evolution of Claire is my my happiest book which is saying something wow that's i mean when 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 we got to the very specific book usually no i'm excited but yeah it's like once i got to the end of of claire i just was like oh my god i can't believe they went there so i'm excited to see more of that to be honest i'm excited i was i was was impressed you know that i will say that was not my idea they did that so i i am i am free and clear i am not it was the team's fault. I will blame them. No, they were they were so wonderful. It was the best, most collaborative experience of my life, and I love it. So they were just it was a truly amazing team to work with. Like just fabulous, amazingly creative people. They're just wonderful. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, where can people follow you and find you, and the best place to get the book and all that good stuff? So it should be in America. It should be anywhere that books are sold. Um, and I am not sure. I'm so sorry. I've been getting a lot of emails about translations and stuff, and I, I am not kept in the loop about that stuff. I'm trying to get a list for y'all that to put on my website um, as soon as possible, but I don't have any information about translations right now um, or the audiobook. I'm so sorry. I like I am not kept in the loop about that stuff since, you know, it's not my property. It's not my franchise. Sure, yeah. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Girl, Sharp with an E. 
and on Instagram at Forest of Arden. And I do, I cook on Instagram. Funko Claire is going on an adventure next week. <laughs> going to, she's going down the river towards the volcano. She's going on her volcano adventure. Um, and so I will be doing some more giveaways. I have um, two more books signed by me and Bryce that I'll be giving away. Oh, so cool. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's where you guys can find me. And you can always email me on my website, which is just testsharp.com. And if you guys have any questions, emailing me is the best way because I'm always on deadline. So <laughs> I, do, I can't keep track of my social media as well as I used to. That's, yeah, no, it's... And in, in when you're working at a computer all day, it's, you know, that Gmail is to me, at least my Gmail is always open. Yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've got to keep it open for everything that I run. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Again, thank you so much to Tess Sharp for chatting with me. It's funny. Um, in the acknowledgement section is a really good buddy of mine, Paul Kruger, who's a very talented author who wrote um, Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge, um, which is a really wonderful book. It's basically Harry Potter set at a bar, um, but it's more than that. Um, and so it was so funny that we could connect over that, over our mutual over, over our mutual friends. So I thought that was really fun. I wanted to dive into a few of my specific observations and not just things that were Easter eggs for, you know, Jurassic fans, but things related to pop culture and character and theme and just things that I nerd about I thought were really cool. I love that she had a lizard named Sally Ride. I love that we get to learn more about Karen, a.k.a. Judy Greer's character, so you can kind of see where she's, you know, at by the time uh, Jurassic World happens. I love the mom versus daughter scene uh, that, um, you know, just to me exemplifies that. I mean, we talk about it in the interview, but just the idea, you know, just that makes this Jurassic universe feel really alive when you can have those kind of sort of real world mundane conversations, but it involves dinosaurs. Um, I really like... Um, it's funny, there's a great deleted scene in Jurassic World that I feel like some of this novel kind of really culls from, you know, um, and that idea of like feeling bad for pursuing your dreams that, that, and again, we talked about this in an interview, but just that's the stuff that really stuck out to me that really like grounds Claire in ways that I feel like I understood implicitly, but I don't think is necessarily like, you know, I think you know, sometimes you just, it's not always there. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like what you bring to the table kind of thing. And so sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't, but, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think, um, the, uh, sexism and survival situations, I think this novel is like a really big part of that in a very like fun way. And, you know, talking about, you know, women in STEM and how like they're all very like acknowledging of like how surprising it is that there's so many women there because they're so used to not being that. And it's like so heartbreaking in a way because they're so young and they already know that. So I really like this book as like a force of positivity and being like, no, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, hashtag mermaid goals. I'm just looking at my notes right now. So, um, and, uh, you know, I love the allusion to Owen. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, they, oh, they, um, the way that they named the dinosaurs very much reminds me of Santidor here in um, Los Angeles, the animal shelter, where they give kind of like themed names to batches of dinosaurs. I thought that was really cool. Um, I love the quote, never deny people their coffee. Um, the ruthless girl-like thing. Um, Miss Ronnie definitely has Willy Wonka vibes, which I didn't really realize until I was like, wait a minute, he's wearing purple. Oh, that's such a Willy Wonka thing. Um, I like the subtle acknowledgement to feathers. Um, the sick triceratops. That was kind of cool. Um, I love that Dr. Henry Wu hates interns. Um, and, um, yeah, it's interesting. Is that Velociraptor at the end? Is that a, the sort of second batch, you know, JP three Raptor. I mean, on the cover, it looks like a JP three Raptor. Um, but yeah, I just wonder if it's, if it's, uh, you know, cause the guy remember mentioning, um, I think Chris Pugh from Jurassic Outpost asked if that was the final cover, which it ended up being the final cover, um, about that Raptor. And I don't think it's very clear in the, in the novel. If, I mean, if, you know, that's such a, um, 
like a film meta film thing, like the difference between the Raptors and lost world and JP three, who knows if they're ever going to do the, like an in universe answer for that. But interesting. Um, I like that there was a New York times piece on Dr. Wu. Oh, I love that. Claire saw the events of San Diego. I love that. That was just such a little nice way to tie it into the lost world. And I feel like, again, this book is so much about, um, you know, because I think some, I think some Jurassic Park fans are are a little miffed that Sorna gets the gets the short stick here. You know, because I think Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom thematically wanted to tie themselves to the original, um, and having a second island is messy. So I think they are using these books to sort of clean up those little loose ends, and I, and I'm fine with it, honestly. I mean, I love Sorna, but I I think unless there was a way to revisit it. You know, it's just, you just, I don't know, you know, and I, I like the way that they handle Sorna in this, you know, as sort of this like race against time to abandon it. And then now they're, or, you know, like they're basically just like, let's consolidate power, you know, which is a big theme in the novel. So I, and I like that. And with that comes those secrets and those mysteries. And this felt very much like a Scooby-Doo episode in a way, this book, which I really enjoyed as well too. Oh, the noise emitter thing that they use to like, prevent the dinosaurs from coming close to them. I thought that was like a nice little nod to the, um, the noise emitter things, but a nice version, uh, from the lost world novel, um, where Dotson and his crew have those like battery packs where they're like blaring at the T-Rex and the T-Rex is all like, ah, God, it hurts, you know? Um, but this version is a much nicer version. It's just annoying. And yeah, just the little nods to the Mosasaur and the Pteranodons as well, too, I thought was really cool. Um, you know, I just think yeah, I just had such a great time reading this novel. It was so breezy. It was so fun to read through and, and, you know, all against the backdrop of Claire. And I just thought, again, as somebody who super relates to, you know, there's a passage about ambition and stuff in there. And and I think anybody who is following their dreams can super relate to Claire. And I think having, having these ambitions told through the eyes of 19 year old version Claire, I think, maybe is more relatable to people than if it was a, you know, 35 year old grown person, you know, I think having it be when you're young and talking about these ambitions, I think is super relatable and super, um, yeah, I just think really, I think really adds a lot to her journey. And as we talked about, really kind of brings it full circle. So, uh, yeah, I recommend everyone read it. Hopefully if you listen to this part, if you, I mean, again, I didn't really like you know, dive into specific scenes or anything like that. There isn't really anything spoilery in that sense, you know? Um, sorry, I should say that it's, there are spoiler things in this book, but they're not spoilers as far as the universe goes. I feel like that's already been kind of established that, you know, um, you know, that Sorna was basically cleaned up. So, um, but I highly recommend reading the novel. It really goes there. I mean, this book really has teeth, I should say, and for a YA novel, I thought it really, it really didn't pull any punches. And for a Jurassic novel, um, it really was a blast to read. And I think Tess is such a great author and I'm excited to read her uh, novel Far From You, which is like a crime novel about addiction and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's about it. You know, um, I, th- I really hope that this novel successful so that we get more of these. I would love more again, like I said at the beginning before the interview, you know, uh, evolution of Muldoon, evolution of Owen, um, evolution of Zia, evolution of Franklin, you know, evolution of Hammond and Wu and original Macy or something, you know, um, more backstory, stuff like that, you know, because there is so many gaps to fill in this universe. That I think, you know, because the films have already moved past, I think this is the perfect opportunity to explore them. Um, so, yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you again to Tess Sharp, um, you know, for chatting with me. And um, if you want to, uh, this is a little fun, like, one-on-one interview for this, like, very special thing. If you want to hear more of these kind of sort of one-on-one kind of things, uh, let me know. Um, as always, you can support C Jurassic Right on Patreon, um, patreon.com slash C Jurassic Right. You can follow on Twitter at SJRPod. You can follow on Instagram at C Jurassic Right. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Ray Morris and Instagram at Stephen Ray Morris. Um, 
yeah, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for enjoying episode 14. That was a beast. Um, if you haven't listened yet, go listen to that. You can hear my whole Fallen Kingdom journey. Um, I'm super excited. We only have one more uh, regular episode left, but there's going to be more Raptor reactions, more mini-sos and stuff like that over the summer as we wrap up season two. Um, but let me know what you're thinking, what more you want to talk about. Is there other parts of Fallen Kingdom you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? The original franchise or, you know, the original movies? Um, you know, let me know. Um, and as always, life finds a way. So I will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.